Welcome everyone to Weird Growth, the podcast where we hear about the strange and often unpredictable journey that uh, founders take. This episode, uh, we have Nick Blair from Midnight Health, um, which is a digital healthcare platform that offers customers range of uh, services, including telehealth consultations, home delivery of prescription medicines, skincare treatments, birth control, men's health is- uh, issues, and precision supplements for gut myobiome. Um, also under the banner of uh, Hubbed Up Health, I believe, Nick. Um, mate, incredible what you've achieved in not a very long, uh, not a very you know large amount of time. Since 2021, you've grown to over 30,000 customers, I believe. Um, yeah, congratulations on what you've achieved. Thanks so much for being on Weird Growth. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, we've actually ticked over 50,000 customers now. Uh, so yeah, we've been on a, I guess February was our two year anniversary. So we've certainly had a pretty um, fast and furious couple of years, I guess, since we launched the company. So yeah, it's been great. And um, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's uh, really excited for this chat, um, especially in this health and telehealth space, very exciting um, industry at the moment in Australia in particular. Um, maybe could you, would you mind introducing yourself and how have you come to do what you do? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I guess I have um, personally gone through quite a journey as an entrepreneur, I suppose, uh, realized quite a few years ago that uh, trying to build things and, and start something from nothing was something that I really enjoyed. Uh, so 2008, 2009, I started a whole bunch of different startups, I suppose, or, or projects. I don't know if some of them were big enough to be categorized as a startup, but I uh, yeah. had a whole bunch of failures over those couple of years, but uh, you know all the lessons that come with that. Uh, yeah. And so uh, yeah, taking those lessons, went and got a job when I finally ran out of money after two years of trying to start, you know, a few different <laughs> online businesses. Yep. And then, um, yeah, in 2011, I started a digital agency called Search Factory. Uh, and so that one, I guess, ended up having a bit more success than my previous startups. Um, we ended up selling uh, Search Factory to a global media company called mm-hmm. Dentsu uh, mm-hmm. in 2019. Uh, and so <clears throat> that kind of set me up in a great position with experience and, and all the rest of it to then, I guess, you know, get to the end of that acquisition and earn out for that business. And then, uh, so you go through the process and decide what am I going to do next and, mm. and end up, uh, yeah, launching Midnight Health, uh, not long after. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of, kind of been through a journey wearing the battle scars, as you can imagine, you know, as you go through those, all those processes and journeys of different businesses. And, um, yeah, I guess ultimately it's kind of where I've landed today and, and what, yep. what's helped kind of the lead up into launching Midnight Health and getting success with this business. Wonderful. But isn't that good? You've, you've really lived that entrepreneur's journey of, you know, every step that you take is a lesson and another sort of string in your bow that you take on to the next project that you, you learn from and improve every time. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think people starting businesses don't necessarily approach it like that. And I think if you're, let's say you're an athlete, right, and you're trying to become the best athlete in the world or at some level of um, success as an athlete, it's like, you know, our expectation is not that you go and win your first game and win every game after that, right, and, yeah. and become a become a success overnight. It's, you know, I think business is the same. And the more that you go through this process and you learn and you keep iterating on that, uh, you know, you get better over time at it and you learn things every step of the way. And so, you know, in reality, every 12 months you get better, like you would hope to if you were an athlete or, you know, something like that. So, yeah, uh, yeah I think people should approach it that way. Well said. I'd love to learn to just dig a little bit more into search factory in a sec, if you, if I can. Yeah. Um, but before we get stuck into that, we have a pop quiz that we ask at the start of every weird growth episode, which is in a parallel universe. If you were to start a new business today from scratch, what would it be and who would you be helping? That's a very interesting question. 
if I was to say in a parallel universe what I was to do, what I've always said that I would love to have done, which is not necessarily start a business, but yeah. I've always thought how fantastic would it be to be a lead singer for a band or <laughs> an problem. artist who stands on a stage in what would I could only imagine would be the most surreal experience to be standing in a stage in front of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people yeah. listening to your every word. I've never, I've never pursued, I've never pursued a career as a singer or anything like that. <laughs> but I just look, probably like most people, I look at that and think, wow, imagine, imagine what an experience that would be. So many similarities though with that and being an entrepreneur. To be honest, like you know, being front man, coming up with the creative vision, um, and then making that, turning that into reality, and then taking a one in a million chance, basically that you may or may not succeed. Um, yeah, no, it's that's pretty, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, pretty good analogy. That's cool. Thanks, Nick. Um, yeah, so if that's okay, because that's per personally interesting to me, this, the Search Factory story, that was a services agency, is that right, for digital services? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it started kind of in, I guess, early search marketing and those types of areas and then kind of continued to expand to become more of a full-service digital agency over time. But, um, yeah, service-based agency. Uh, business. Any particular so, types yeah. of clients? Uh, look, we kind of had a quite a mix of clients you know clients in travel people like flight center super amart um you know other sort of big australian brands uh, you know a lot of e-commerce companies and um things like that as well you know law yep. firms accounting firms stuff like that so uh yeah that's kind of grew um with the businesses as um you know as a business kind of had a, had a really good first five years to the company which is sort of when we then started ending up in the acquisition discussions well done and what did what did that teach you growing a business like that because it's very different to a, a very scalable online software business services is is a different game, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, interestingly enough, one of the things that it taught me was I got to the end of that and said, look, that was a yeah, a great, we did well out of it. It was a great um, yeah, kind of business to sink my teeth into growing something to the size that we did and yeah. all the rest of it. But it also taught me that I don't want to start another service-based business. <laughs> so I think, you know, a service-based business is great because you can start it at low cost. You can, you know, it's great first business or first couple of businesses for someone um, yeah, where you, you can. You product yourself. Yeah, you are the product. You can sell your time, you know, it costs Reality probably cost me $600 to set up Search Factory. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of benefits when you start a business like that, but you also realize the limitations of scaling a service-based business, right? And so, you know, from when I got through the end of that, there are a lot of lessons that came with it. You know, how do you build a culture in a business? How do you scale a team? How do you improve the ways of working? What technology do you use to support growth and make things more efficient? Uh, you know, there's so many lessons that came out of growing that business, but then it's also helped pave a pathway for what do I want to do next and, you know, as you said, you know, the scalability is wildly different from a technology-based business versus a service-based business. And you're not just selling time for money, you know, so right. uh, it kind of helped shape where I have ended up after that as well. Yeah. Love that. And gives me, um, yeah, a lot of inspiration from that too. Um, especially working in, you know, what ammo focuses on, on startups and a lot of our clients are doing incredible things in that space. And, um, you know, we'd like to think we're part of that culture, but, there's always going to be that restraint. Um, the unit economics is the more hours you sell, the more people you need in the team. So it's very linear as opposed to potentially parabolic. But um, no, that's, how did it feel? How did the acquisition process feel to you? What was that like? Uh, it was it was really, I mean, great. Obviously, we went through, you know, we were acquired, but it also came at a time when we were starting to think that way too. Mm. Uh, because the reality is that, 
when we first started, well, when I first started the business, uh, it, it was at a time where, you know, the people that we competed, we were competing with, you know, when we went to pitch for clients, weren't the big agencies. Uh, so, you know, it was an early stage of digital agencies, digital yep. marketing, where, uh, you know, our clients were looking for specialists in those areas. Yep. Uh, and what happened is that over time, over the five years uh, since I started the business through to when we got acquired, we'd start turning up to pitches where we're now competing with your media comms and your iProspect and Dentsu's and your, um, you know, OMDs and all the big media groups who now all of a sudden were trying to capture the digital budget, just like they had the above the line. Uh, yeah. So we could see that lens, we could see that landscape changing. And so from my perspective and our perspective, we're like, there's also a point where you either join the big guys or they take you out. Um, right. And so, yeah, you know, I think there was a, as a right, how do you scale the business from here and, and find the right timing to, to get acquired and you know i think that was it and so it, it happened and it turned up at the right time where we saw opportunity to drive growth off the back of becoming a part of the big group as opposed to competing with them as the landscape started to change yeah. but you know it, it's a it is a pretty cool feeling and it was a great experience to go through where you are sitting down and someone's negotiating buying your company that you started from scratch and uh you know it's a it is something that i'll um, you know, always be grateful for having to have been through as well you know i think a lot of not everybody gets to go, you know, end up building something that actually someone yeah. else sees value in right at the end. So it was, um, you know, certainly a cool experience. It's pretty special, mate. Yeah, congrats on that. Very cool. Well, moving over to to Midnight Health um, and and Hub.Health, what is, what's the big problem that you're looking to solve with, with that business? Yeah, look, there's a few, um, there's a few things, you know, that make up our mission statement for our business, right? I mean, you know, one of the, a huge one is accessibility to care. Uh, so, you know, it's not only, you know, I think there's been a, a rapid adoption of digital healthcare services as a result of COVID, but the reality is there's many problems that existed within the healthcare experience well before, you know, the pandemic, uh, you know, kind of pushed more people towards it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, especially in a country like Australia, but also worldwide, you know, there's a huge accessibility problem for people who live in areas where it is difficult to access care. I assume in our case in Australia, there's so many regional and remote areas where it takes weeks to get access to a doctor. Um, in some cases, you have to travel hours to see one uh, or get access to prescriptions or medication delivery. Um, so, you know, there's the accessibility problem. Uh, you know, there's the fragmentation of the healthcare experience, uh, you know, when you're moving through, uh, whether you're seeing a GP or going to a pharmacy or, or working with multiple GPs or specialists, uh, you know, there's a fragmentation of your healthcare data and the healthcare experience. Yep. Uh, and the other thing is that it's not, not a, you know, in many cases, it's not a great customer experience. Uh, and the reality is in most of our lives, um, you know, we're now at the point where technology has gone through this, you know, rapid innovation over the last five to 10 years to a point where, you know, on our phones and in our pockets, we can have, our food delivered, we can have packages delivered, we can, uh, you know, have a great experience, uh, whether it's even, uh, you know, through things like e-commerce shopping or whatever it might be. And so we've come to a point where, uh, you know, I think healthcare is the last or one of the last industries to actually go through this, you know, innovation and technology adoption that can really improve the experience for the customer or the patient. Uh, and so you Why know, that's ultimately- so slow to adopt new tech? It's, it seems very conservative. <laughs> Look, it, you know, there's, there's multiple reasons. And as we've got more into the industry, you know, you understand why, but you know, it's heavily regulated. It's, yeah. uh, you know, there's, there are challenges with technology. It's been slow, you know, hospitals, 
GP practices, you know, other um, components of healthcare delivery have been slow to adopt new technologies. Uh, and I think, and the flow on effect of all of that is it means that it is actually quite difficult to pull those all together and create a great experience. So you've got many, um, you know, old systems and incumbent systems that have kind of also restricted the ability for, uh, you know, the industry to kind of move forward and, and create a great experience with the patient at the center of it. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Like just as a little, you know, personal anecdote, I was at the Perth Children's Hospital yesterday with our one-year-old, nothing serious. She was in for some, some tests and things. And, you know, it's a brand new hospital built for only a few years ago. It was going to be, you know, the state of the art kind of facility in the state. And, you know, like the booking and checking in system for different appointments and things is incredible. They have an app where you have like all your appointments in a day and it sends you like reminders, um, like just as you'd expect the sort of kind of ex customer experience to be in this day and age. And then, you know, we got in and saw one of the specialists and he needed to write a little um, referral to go down and have a blood test. And you could see he's got, a, you know, software there to, to do it all. Um, and you'd think it would be one of the easiest things, but he had to find the right document, um, connect it with her, with, with my daughter's like um, sort of records and then print that form so that he could sign it. And it took five minutes for him, the poor guy to get the printer to work. Um, you know, and this is, you know, a guy whose time is extremely in demand and he spent five minutes trying to figure out how to print a form so he could sign it and send us down to for a blood test. So yet there does seem to be this like multiple, like really siloed systems all through the whole health system that just don't talk to each other and some are way better than others. So yeah, and I think that's part of the challenge, right? Because it is and part of the challenge is a startup in this space as well as going, there's so many problems to solve that you need to you know, narrow your focus and your prioritization into those things where you think you can have an impact, can get growth from, because there's a, as you said, it's like you go, you know, one part of that experience that you had has gone through the process of embracing technology and, and creating a great experience for you, but then it falls over as soon as you get to the first weak point in the process and you try to move from one area of care to another. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a broader problem that's going to exist for quite a few years you know ahead of us but uh that's the that's the challenge that's the challenge and the opportunity at the same time you know when it comes to digital healthcare and improving the, the customer patient and clinician experience exciting how did you make the call to get into health what was the sort of prompt to have a crack at, at tackling this big behemoth of a problem yeah so as i um you know was coming through 2019 and uh you know, getting towards the end of the, the earnout process and acquisition with Search Factory and having a look at, you know, which vertical or industry, um, you know, that I wanted to move into next and, and launch another business. And I tend to look at what's happening in international markets, you know, because Australia is always a few years behind the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a lot of traction starting to exist in America and the UK around, you know, digital healthcare businesses, remembering this is pre-COVID, obviously. Um, there's businesses like Hims and Hers and Row in America that were getting a lot of traction by, um, you know, focusing on these direct-to-patient kind of healthcare models. Uh, and so, you know, that is ultimately the driver of, uh, you know, why we had a look at this and said, hey, this is, you know, an opportunity. This is going to get traction here. Surely it's going to make its way into the Australian market, but not only Australia, but, you know, many other markets around the world where uh, surely, you know, healthcare is going to go through this process. And so um, that was kind of the starting point. Uh, and so then as we were building out the model for the business, um, myself and my co-founder, Matt, uh, you know, we were building out the model and we said, you know, what are the, the biggest problems we can solve at the start? We started with women's healthcare. Uh, so we actually have four different brands that sit under Midnight Health now. So we yeah. have Hub.Health, 
hub.health, which you mentioned earlier. We have stagger.com.au, which focuses on uh, men's health. And we have yuli.com.au, which focuses on, on women's health and uh, vitality.health, which is our um, gut health supplement product. Uh, and so we launched with Yuli first um, because we said, you know, we had a look around the space. We said there's a bigger gap in the women's healthcare market. Uh, and part of that was, you know, launching Australia's first emergency contraception delivery service, uh, along with, you know, telehealth prescriptions and medication delivery for contraceptive pill, thrush treatments, herpes treatments, um, things that people would be looking to access discreetly uh, online and fit the model well uh, for yeah. people that were going to be early adopters, I suppose. Um, and so while we were building that model, we then also went into the first lockdown for the pandemic. And so, it was kind of like the stars were all aligning to if there's a right time to get stuck into launching a digital healthcare company, you know, this is going to be it. And so that's when we went full steam ahead from there. What was the, what was the technical process you went through to identify that market opportunity and that, that, that part of the market wasn't served very well? How did you decide that? So we did a few things. I mean, we went through, uh, you know, obviously looking at the competition that existed in the digital healthcare space. So there were a couple of you know, male specific brands that had started to pop up in digital health uh, had only kind of just come to market. Yeah, um, there was a couple pilots of more broader. Yeah, your pilots and moshes had had were sort of already in market at that point in time. Um, there wasn't many, many if any, really female focused brands uh, in the healthcare space. Uh, we also went through the process of uh, you know just doing user research and focus groups and having discussions with. Uh, you know, women around challenges that they've focused with uh, healthcare and accessing healthcare services. And, you know, emergency contraception was one of the things that kept popping up. Uh, you know, how bad the experiences of having to go to the pharmacy and getting, you know, ultimately grilled about your sex Pretty life in what is probably yeah. or probably already a you know, stressful time in your life. And so, we, you know, we started with looking at those really specific problems and going, well, why does it have to exist like that? And as we went through that process, I think, you know, yes, there were some pharmacists we spoke to, you know, who said, no, I need to, they need to come in and see me face to face. And this is how it's always been done. Uh, but then there were also, you know, many other forward thinking pharmacists who uh, were very supportive of us, uh, you know, improving access to uh, not only emergency contraception, but other treatments as well. Uh, and so that gave us enough conviction that, uh, look, we could you know, create a model around that and create a business around that. And so it was kind of a combination of uh, many different things. And then when we launched Yuli to market, uh, yeah, we got a lot of press because of the fact that it was Australia's first you know, emergency contraception delivery service, among, among other things. And um, yeah, that kind of gave us a, a good launch and kickstart to the business. How did you reach your first customers with Yuli? Was it because of that press or was there, was there some early kind of a customer acquisition tactics you used? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the good thing is someone who's come from kind of a marketing and technology background, I guess that's um, an advantage, I suppose, when it comes to launching an, an online focused business. Uh, so the, mate, the the biggest push we got was from press at the start, uh, mm. but we also started picking up customers just before that by running some uh, paid search campaigns, paid social campaigns, uh, allowed, you know, use those to gain some traction, make sure everything worked the way that it was supposed to before we did our push in the press. Uh, we didn't want to pick up a whole bunch of press and then have everything fall over because the platform didn't work. So we, we did a soft launch with, you know, with search campaigns, things to be able to kind of taper and manage the amount of um, growth in customers that we got through the business. Yeah. I love it. it. It's sort of, you can tell when you're onto something that is going to capture people's imagination where, when they're already kind of searching for a solution to the problem and they're not quite sure what it is. So there's already a pain point they're trying to solve. And then when you come up with a unique and slightly edgy, almost like out of the box solution to it and and it it's you know pr worthy 
then you've got a good combination there of potential product market fit. So it sounds like you hit on that early on. That was, that's really cool, mate. When did you realize, Hey, we're onto something. This is getting serious. Yeah, look, I think you know that first couple of months when we started pick, you know, picking up traction, and uh, you know we had a way bigger vision for the business, uh, which is where we're heading. Yeah, you know, as time mm. uh, moves forward, and we keep building out a product roadmap, you know, our whole view and the problems that I mentioned earlier that we're trying to solve, uh, you know, leans into wanting to build a complete healthcare ecosystem that you can access, um, you know, through a single platform, and so that's where we're heading. But you know, you obviously need those those points in time from the start, you know, and each step of the journey uh, that still validate, uh, you know, the journey that you're on or the goal that you're trying to achieve. And so, you know, that first couple of months when we launched our first campaigns to market, we started acquiring our first customers, you know, we had the big push from press uh, when Yuli went to market. Uh, as the revenue and the customer volume started growing each month, uh, that's when, you know, we kind of started getting more and more confidence uh, in terms of what we were doing uh, as a business. And then, you know, ultimately went to market to uh, raise some capital from there. Can you talk me through a little bit more about the PR process? I mean, how did that work? Did they find you or were you a little bit proactive with it? And how did you leverage that to its maximum effect? Yeah, so we worked so we worked with a PR agency at the start. Uh, so one thing that I, over the years, even prior to Midnight Health launch, one thing that I've, I've just learned myself with PR is that you do need a hook. You know, you're really in this world of so much viral content and all the rest of you know the rest of it going on around us is so much noise that you really do need something substantial to help bring you to market. And I actually think that launching Australia's first emergency contraception delivery service outside of actual customer acquisition and growth, I think that was one of the that as a product was one of the best things we could have had to get to market. So when we went out to um, you know we I felt that we had a hook that was able to get enough traction that warranted spending money with a PR agency. Uh, you know, you can spend money with a PR agency and have nothing, you know, and they're banging, they're banging on everyone's doors, trying to pitch a story that doesn't really have a story attached yeah, to it. Yeah, it's not good enough um, just to exist. Like, how are you? Yeah. How is it new? How is it novel? Yeah. Yeah. And as a startup, you know, you can often pay the agency and they'll happily take your money to keep trying to come up with ideas, but you can get to a point where you're also wasting money. So, you know, we worked with an agency. We said, this is what we're launching. We're going to launch on International Women's Day, which is when we actually uh, you know, launched the brand to market. Uh, and so all those things combined uh, set us up to be able to, uh, you know, speak to or get enough positive response from journalists, you know, prior to launch and uh, have people on embargo ready to go uh, on International Women's Day when we launched the brand. So, uh, yeah, all of those things pulled together uh, made for a, a very successful launch. So you're running a number of of uh, different brands, as you said, men's health, gut health, a few other things. Um, what's the strategy? What's the brand strategy there? Why, why split them up? Um, like it's obviously something that we've seen from other, um, you know, house of brands like Eucalyptus and things in this space. Like what's the strategy and thinking behind that? Yeah, so from our perspective, uh, you know, one of the things that was really important for us, obviously, you know, when we first launched the business was how do we get traction? How are we really targeted with the audience that we're speaking to? You know, digital healthcare is is still in early adoption phase. Uh, and so, you know, so we want to create one thing that we can do really well in a digital environment that you can't do in a GP clinic or a pharmacy is speak to really specific, you know, demographic led brands. Uh, and so when we launched Yuli to market, you know, we're, targeting young women, we're talking about sexual health, um, talking about body positivity, you know, we're building, you know, building a brand that really resonates with and speaks to the audience that we are targeting with that 
uh, brand. And so that's how we've brought Yuli to market. And I think that's helped us cut through uh, against your, you know, your typical healthcare brands or experiences. And that's allowed us to uh, you know, work with ambassadors and influencers who resonate with what we are trying to be as a brand. Uh, and that's helped us to gain traction and um, get people on board. And so, you know, we did that with Yuli and then we've done a similar thing with Stagger targeting the young male audience. Um, and then as we've launched hub.health, uh, you know, we are starting to, we reached the point where Yuli and Stagger had gained traction. They're focusing on a really specific audience. But as we move towards our longer term vision, of access to this complete health ecosystem where people are managing, you know, multiple chronic conditions or, um, you know, accessing and managing uh, accounts for their family members, whether they be older or, or children, uh, you know, that's where we've now launched the third brand of hub.health so that we can, uh, you know, it probably resonates well with where the long-term journey sees us ending up at. So, uh, you know, we'll keep Yuli and Stagger as those niche demographic-led brands and then, um, you know, hub.health, I think will continue to become larger over time. Yeah, love it. Yeah, it's actually really worthwhile for anyone listening or watching to go and have a look. I will, we'll leave the links to the different brands on in the show notes, but you can really see the thought that's gone into targeting those different demographics and markets and see the design um, outcomes that, that come from that. It's actually really, you know, it's all the same business, but it's been done really elegantly, Nick. So, um, well done on that, mate. Um, yeah, thanks. You're also backed by... NIB uh, recently they invested um, around in you guys, um, which is really cool to see, especially for for health in, in Australia. Um, how did the partnership start with them? How did you get on their radar? Yeah, so after we launched uh, Yuli as our first brand, I said you know spent a couple of months trying to build some traction and, and getting momentum, making sure everything worked the way that it was supposed to. Yep. And the next step for me was. Uh, you know, one of the challenges that I mentioned earlier is, you know, if you start a service-based business, your startup costs are pretty low, right? You can get traction and sell your time, become profitable straight away. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to tackle a you know, scalable technology business, quite often that comes with needing, you know, a lot of resource in terms of uh, people, uh, you know, technology, marketing uh, budgets, you know, all the rest of it. So, you know, when we started the business, there was always a view that, you know, we'd be looking to raise capital pretty quickly, but we wanted to build some traction prior to that. So, uh, you know, after we launched the business uh, in February 21, uh, then you know, probably April 21, uh, I was knocking out everybody's door, um, you know, hassling people on LinkedIn, uh, going to as many events that I could, um, you know, pitching the business wherever I could so that we could, you know, ultimately try and uh, raise our first capital round. And we we're looking to raise two and a half mil in that first round. Uh, went through, yeah, I definitely had you know, over 100, 120, 130 pitches, I think, in meetings with different people. Um, through that process, ended up speaking with NIB. Uh, and then, yeah, after a couple of meetings uh, with the NIB team, uh, you know, there was clearly an alignment between our two businesses in terms of where NIB want to go in their future and become, let's say, more of a healthcare services, healthcare provider company alongside an insurer. Uh, and then their roadmap and our roadmap were very similar and we had similar visions to where, you know, digital healthcare could head. And so a big part of our process for raising our first round was not just trying to get money, but finding a company that would be a good strategic partner longer term. Uh, and we've certainly found that with them. So yeah, in November 21, they made their first investment of uh, $4 million, uh, which was yeah one and a half million more than we we're actually looking to raise at that point in time. Um, and then they invested another $12 million uh, in July last year as well. So uh, yeah, we've had 16 mil investment from NIB to date, uh, which has been great. And as I said, it's not only the financial uh, benefit obviously that we've needed in terms of resource to keep growing the business but uh, you know there's a lot of other benefits come with the strategic like NIB who've got 1.2 million customers who have a really great team that we can access you know in terms of resourcing and, and stuff so uh, yeah they've been a really great partner. 
Definitely. Uh, that's very cool. Um, the big health insurer here in Western Australia is HBF. Um, and it seems like these big sort of um, incumbent health insurers are getting to the point where they need to do things a little bit differently to acquire new customers. Um, like there's a lot of young people dropping off private health. Um, there's a lot of old people who aren't around anymore. Um, they're done with their services with the health insurer. So that they need to find innovative ways to sort of grow their customer base and, and shift their direction. So it sounds like NRB has done an awesome job getting involved in, in you guys. Um, that's, that's exciting. And what, what, what could possibly be next for the future? I mean, you, you've, you've established a number of really cool niche brands. Plus you've got the hub.health, which is driving in that general sort of telehealth um, sort of space um, partnership with a big insurer. What, what's the, what's the vision for the future? Yeah, look, I think our broadest, the broadest version of our vision is that you know, we want to build a complete health ecosystem that will allow you to manage your health and become the starting point for managing your health. So our product roadmap is never ending. The reality is we've probably got, you know, a 10 year product roadmap that we've already mapped out. Right. And, you know, that might, that's obviously right. subject to change, but yeah, there's no, there's no end to that insight. And so, you know, right now we have uh, about 23 conditions that we offer telehealth prescriptions and medication uh, for. We do medical certificates. Um, we do repeat scripts for over 2000 medications. Uh, and so the, the roadmap from here is, integrating pathology uh, specialist and imaging referrals. Um, you know, how do we integrate digital health programs to support you know, medication delivery, introducing new conditions uh, that we're treating, uh, integrating uh, with you know, physical clinic environments so that if we can't help somebody in a digital uh, healthcare environment, we don't just send them away, but we help them book an appointment and move them into the offline world as necessary. Uh, and I think from our perspective, we want to get to the point where uh, when you need to access any healthcare service, you come into our environment first and then we help you navigate uh, and coordinate the care that you need. Um, and the one thing that we think is really interesting from that and is a really great opportunity to improve you know, the health of Australians and, and potentially people globally is how you use the data uh, to move into preventative health. And so you know, if you're at the point where somebody is using your platform to manage most aspects of their health, how do you take that data and then say, uh, understand whether somebody is showing early signs of a chronic disease that maybe you could prompt them getting tested for or um, how you could help them manage something early uh, so that you can get better health outcomes. And I think that's a really great opportunity that's missed in a lot of the current environment, uh, which you know technology can scale and, and help us to improve you know, our overall health outcomes as well. So uh, you know, I think as we continue to build out the platform, things like that become really interesting. And where are you uh, seeing your new customers? How, how are people finding out about your your brands at the moment? Is it is it lots of different channels? Is there one sort of tactic that's working really well? Uh, look, it's all quite a lot of different channels. Uh, I mean, obviously, we're quite digitally led in terms of our marketing strategy. So, you know, paid search, paid social, uh, display, YouTube advertising. Uh, you know, we're doing start. We've started our first above the line campaigns actually last month uh, with Hub.Health because we've been able to drive enough volume from you know, mm -hmm. digital first channels. Uh, but you know, we're working. You know, we've now started doing some billboards, some TV catch up. Uh, we work with influencers and ambassadors where necessary. So yeah, yeah. it's. We've ultimately evolved over time, uh, our marketing mix. And so, um, yeah, that's going to continue evolving uh, as well as partnerships like people like NIB obviously help as well. Yeah. Uh, um, it's, yeah, definitely once you get to a certain scale, it starts making sense to to do outdoor and um, some of those traditional things, which might not necessarily be 
performance-based or measurable, um, but it drives that whole sort of brand awareness. And then when they do come across the digital assets or whatever it is, they're already primed and ready to go and familiar with the brand. Um, yeah, and I think you don't want to lean into that too early, right? Uh, you know, I think the brand marketing or above the line is depending on your your what your product is. Uh, you know, they're typically going to have lower performance, but you know, more long term benefit. So uh, you know, we sort of have wait had waited a couple of years really to move into those channels. Yep. And so with the digital platforms, um, you know, there's a lot of restrictions on things like health advertising. What are the, some of the lessons you've learned with with using those platforms for your customer acquisition? Oh, there's definitely a lot of challenges in marketing TGA or working within the TGA guidelines for how you can advertise different services. Uh, so there's a lot of work we've had to do in building out pretty comprehensive internal uh, checklists when it comes to uh, TGA advertising guidelines and uh, what we can do with marketing healthcare services. Uh, so yeah. we've certainly had to, uh, yeah, work out how do we talk about certain conditions? How do we market certain oh, conditions? You have things like contraception, for example, can't be marketed in some global markets where a policy team for Instagram or Facebook or Meta um, you yep. know, create a policy, but then in Australia it can be marketed, but then you still run up against the you know, being banned in platforms or having your accounts taken down and all the rest of it. So, uh, yeah, there's certainly challenges that we have to navigate when it comes to uh, you know any kind of marketing of healthcare services. Yeah. No, it's a good thing in a lot of ways as well because it oh, know, yeah. stops a lot of those cowboys and those who are considered and um, you know do the right thing by the consumer in particular um, can still play in that space. So that's good. that's good. What's one big piece of advice you have to founders who are looking to looking to get started or looking to grow? Uh, look, I think one of the things that I think of or feel that I've gotten better at over time by you know, going out to start multiple businesses is actually really understanding and building a good model to begin with. Uh, so, you know, when I, sometimes I often meet other founders who have already jumped into building a website, launching a business, all the rest of it, and haven't really worked through their own, you know, unit economics or understanding how that business scales or, you know, not factoring in the cost of wages if they got, you know, if they do did need more staff to start helping them, uh, you know, all of a sudden you might have a 40% margin, but that 40% margin might not actually work if you've got to increase your cost by 60% to actually yeah. be able to scale the business and scale the product. Uh, so I think there's a lot of like really understanding your financials and the modeling for the business before you kick off is like, is honestly one of the best things you can do because I think that sets you up to have um, the the best chance at success when you actually kick off. Uh, one of the most common things that I see is people not factoring in an appropriate cost per acquisition for a customer. Huh. Uh, and I think that's the, you know, people think they're going to acquire a customer for $2 when in reality it might be a hundred uh, and yeah. that, that can blow out your projections wildly, you know, to start with. And how do you, how are you going to scale the business to hit a hundred thousand yeah. customers? So I think you need to start with that in mind. Such a, a core concept, which I, you know, I'm constantly teaching and sharing is, is, is the LTV versus CAC. And mm. it's just, um, yeah, a disconnect from reality, but it's also understandable. You know, a lot of people haven't run digital marketing agencies before and haven't even run, you know, paid pay-per-click ad campaigns or whatever the, the process is that they're going to acquire customers through. Um, but it does require more than just technical expertise in whatever you're building um, or industry expertise, a bit of commercial acumen, acumen to understand that you need to acquire customers, you need to find and reach them, give them the right message, 
change their behavior and then get them to pay for what you're doing before you can really do anything else. Um, and yeah, it's, it is definitely having that holistic view. That's great advice, Nick. Yeah. And as I said, I mean, I, I didn't start like that either. <laughs> you know, it took many a goes and lots of lessons to get to the point where that's how I approach starting a new business now. But uh, yeah, I think it just, just comes over time, right? Yeah. And I think if people can have that mentality that this whole process is a learning journey and your job as an entrepreneur is to is to learn what those puzzle pieces are and then and then click them together you're not going to have all the answers from day one if we all had the answers from day one we'll all be billionaires and exactly. you've got to work through it it's not yeah it's not just like as you say it's like an athlete training over over years and years yeah and i think that and people look at that there's a journey within the business and then there's also potential businesses that potential journey with multiple businesses. And yeah. so you've got to, if you set out from the outset like that, then you'll approach everything, uh, you know, with a different mentality, I guess. Can I just ask, you're, are you based in Queensland? Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, we were over there in Brisbane last year and uh, just blown away by the tech ecosystem um, in in Brisbane. And I was just hoping that if you could give us a quick overview of like what's happening in Brisbane at the moment, why is it, so it just feels like there's very buzzy and very exciting over there at the moment. What is it about Queensland and Brisbane that drives that? Yeah, look, I think Brisbane punches above its weight in terms of, you know, startup scene and and mm. the businesses that people are building out here compared to other locations. I think one of the things that I think happens within the Brisbane market is that because it is maybe a smaller market um, that creates more of a willingness of people to connect with each other, to share contacts, to help each other try and grow and build. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of great, uh, you know, events at places like River City Labs have yeah. on a regular basis and other startup hubs within Brisbane uh, that are trying to drive the, you know, startup scene forward and, and people that that have had success that are willing to share their time with people and mentor and all the rest of it. And I think that's all leading to, uh, you know, a pretty cool environment that's uh, sort of popped up in Brisbane for startups and people that are, you know, trying to go on that journey themselves. Uh, so, yeah, and yeah. then even there's even support, you know, from like last year we were accepted into uh, a medtech accelerator uh, that was created by the Brisbane Economic Development Agency. Uh, and so that um, was a program that we went on for uh, eight weeks. And then uh, as part of that, went to pitch in San Francisco um, at the Resi conference that was on in JP Morgan Health Week. And so you do have support from local council and government, uh, you know, that's also uh, jumping in alongside everybody else in the ecosystem who's uh, trying to help each other out and, and hoping to see success. So uh, yeah, it's creating a really good environment we got here. Yeah, very cool. Now, I, I hope that Perth can, um, I, we're definitely moving in that direction. And I think Brisbane, well, I think Queensland and West Australia have a lot of similarities mm. in terms of just the entrepreneurial spirit and people, a lot of people are either connected or have some connection to the resources sector as well. Um, so yeah, if Perth can be like Brisbane in five or 10 years, it'd be very exciting. Um, but with, you know, very same, like very small um, kind of close knit community, help each other out. But It'd be great to see it grow. Um, yeah, that's cool. Um, if you haven't been to Brisbane, anyone out there listening, I reckon it's one of the best cities in Australia. It's very cool. Um, show and tell time, Nick. Uh, favorite tool, device, toy, something which is helping you in your life, um, which you couldn't live without. Um, I mean, look, from a business perspective, I find that Slack is a fantastic tool. I mean, a lot of people are on Slack now, but uh, I've found that a transition from using less emails and using more Slack has actually been a 
good transition within our business. Uh, it makes things more efficient. Um, allows you to tick things off quickly. Uh, and I find that when I've got a super busy calendar uh, throughout the day that my emails end up getting left for a while and I jump on Slack first and I find that it's helping to tick things off and give people quick answers. So uh, yeah, that's probably yeah. what I pick right now as a tool that I'm enjoying. Yeah, Slack's great. Just couldn't live without it. Um, any plugins or anything in particular that you have that you use in Slack that helps? Uh, uh, Slack, not so much. I mean, you know, obviously connected. We use Google Workspace for everything. So we've got yeah, everything yeah. in Google connected. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the Giphy uh, plugin in Slack <laughs> <laughs> for a we, good time. We um, just connected the chat GPT API. Um, so like there's a there's another little sort of member of our Slack channel called chat GPT. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we can add we can add that person and then they'll respond. It's just sends the, just pings the API, yeah. um, but it, it helps to try to sort of build the habit as a team of, of leaning on some of that technology and just remember that actually, you know, you don't need to um, write everything. You don't need to write a whole bloody blog post from scratch. You can get 80% of the way there and then polish it up from there. Yeah. So that's been handy in our little Slack channel as a team. Well, Nick, what's the, if anyone's interested in learning more about, Midnight Health or any of your any of your businesses um, or brands. What what's the what's the final plug, Matt? What do you want them to do? Oh, look, I mean, you know, you can jump on midnight.health, uh, which is our corporate website, probably due for an update, like uh, I think most people's corporate websites are. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, you know, jump on LinkedIn, follow Midnight Health on LinkedIn, um, follow me, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, mm -hmm. Usually trying to share as many updates as we can. So, uh, yeah, really keen for people to follow our journey and. Uh, hopefully we continue having good news and, and success and you know we can share that with you all. Oh, I really hope you do, man. And yeah, again, like it's it's been awesome learning about um yeah, what you've achieved in a very short amount of time and doing it, you know, in a direction which is just going to be so helpful to so many people's lives. Um and just the broader sort of health system in Australia, as we said, you know, it needs um, there's so much room for improvement. So thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you for sharing your story on on Weird Growth tonight, uh, today. And um, and yeah, continued success, mate. Thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Been a great chat. It has, yeah, appreciate it. Um, and thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts or jump on YouTube, leave a review. Um, if you're watching on Spotify, there's a way to, or you're listening on Spotify, there's a way to rate us as well. I'd really appreciate all your support. Um, but until the next episode on Weird Growth, I'm Cam Sinclair. Thank you, Nick. Bye-bye.